Hello and welcome to Simplified Security Episodes. I'm your host, Durgesh, and today is 1st December 2020, coming to you straight from the space city, Houston, Texas. This episode and future episodes are available on video, audio, and text format. For more information, go to icsbits.com backslash simplified. Yesterday was uh, Cyber Monday. I want to remind everyone to make sure you secure your digital devices and your gadgets. At minimum, please make sure you change your passwords, the default passwords, of course. Here are some of the headlines for the end of the week of the November 29th. Digitally signed malware, which goes by the name Bandook, which literally means shotgun in Arabic and Hindi, a retooled version of a decade-old backdoor Trojan, unleashes a new wave of attacks against multitudes of industries. These include governments, financial, energy, healthcare, IT, and legal institutions located primarily in Chile, Cyprus, Germany, Indonesia, Italy, Singapore, Switzerland, Turkey, and the US. The attackers behind this malware are linked to Lebanese and Kazakh governments. For a detailed report, check out Checkpoint's research website and search for Bandook for more details. WordPress, that started its journey in 2003 from the death of its predecessor version of blogging software called B2 Cafe Log, has come a long way from a few hundreds of installations in 2004 to nearly 35% of internet powered by it, which obviously interests the bad actors. Attackers probe the internet for vulnerable plugins on these WordPress sites, the same pieces of uh, codes that make the WordPress so useful and popular. And using techniques such as SQL injection, broken access control, cross-site request forgery, and tens and others of exploitation of various application security, these attackers are then able to compromise these websites for their benefit. So if you are interested in keeping up to date on these vulnerabilities, check out WebARX's WordPress vulnerability news, which seems to be kept up to date pretty frequently. So now for some fake news, and by the way, it is real. It has been a while, um, or I don't know if you heard of this uh, word recently in the news, uh, but with COVID-19, I think uh, this is something really important to understand. So fake news has always been there while its effects were minimal with print media and televisions and obviously radio. And moreover, the news people uh, took upon themselves to verify the news before they blurted it out. While most news outlets are continue to follow the strict regime of verifications, the millions of online news outlets which have popped up from nowhere, which include mom and pop type blogs, Facebook groups, and some even affiliated to major print and television news outlets, have started promoting or pushing fabricated news. With COVID-19, this problem has grown to cost more money and most importantly, affecting lives of people. In UK, a member of parliament, Mr. Khalid Mahmood, during a Westminster forum conference on tackling fake news and online misinformation said, and I quote him here, fake news is totally negated from platforms uh, where someone can put whatever they want and move forward. 
and trying to trace that back and address that is becoming increasingly difficult as platforms take time to deal with it, he said. It will be interesting uh, to see other countries take more steps to deal with fake news. I believe it is not just the responsibility of the service providers such as Google, Facebook and Twitter, but policies and guidelines from various governments and law enforcement working together with healthcare uh, organizations to publish and provide accurate and correct information so users like you and me can verify and make the right choice when it comes to COVID-19 and its challenges. If you are interested in learning more about misinformation and how to deal with it, check out the New York Times guide on how to deal with misinformation. Before we head into CVEs and discuss some latest notifications from US CERT, we are going to cover one more headline which is more of a good news and definitely worth the mention, especially the nature of the cybercrime where it's really difficult to nap the suspects. So business email compromise, something that we have been dealing since email became the primary medium for business to communicate. Uh, so I found out about this first uh, uh, from Graham Cluley's article on tripwire.com. There were three arrests made after an year-long investigation which was codenamed Falcon by the Interpol uh, into phishing emails, mass mailing campaigns which these attackers used to carry out extensive business email compromise scams. These attackers, who are Nigerian nationals, were involved in various criminal activities. Craig Jones, Interpol's cybercrime director, said, and I quote him here, this group was running a well-established criminal business model. From infiltration to cashing in, they used a multitude of tools and techniques to generate maximum profits. We look forward to seeing additional results for this operation, he said. Check out Interpol's news and events page for more details, such as the uh, details on the tools and, and the malware and other malicious activities that this group was involved in. Now let's get a little more useful. Uh, in this segment, I will go over some of the new security alerts and information that you can digest and actually use for your security needs. Fortinet, 40 OS system file leak. This is CVE 2018-13379. The base score is 9.8, which is critical. That was issued by Fortinet in May of 2019 after two DevCore security researchers, Mei Chang and Orange Sai, discovered and reported this vulnerability. A path traversal vulnerability in 40OS SSL VPN web portal may allow an unauthenticated attacker to download 40OS system files through specially crafted HTTP resource requests. 40OS has issued some mitigation steps for the affected 40OS versions. So if you're on 40OS 6.0, 5.6 and 5.4, you have a path forward just by upgrading, you'll be able to take care of this vulnerability. The temporary workaround, which will affect the functionality of the VPN service, is to totally disable SSL VPN. Check out FortiGate's advisory page. And by the way, all of the links uh, and uh, discussions that we have on this podcast is on the description of this podcast. And that is what I will do in my future episodes as well. Drupal releases security updates for TAR and other vulnerabilities. CVE 2020. 28949 and 28948. 
released by Drupal. However, the analysis for these CVs are still pending. However, from Drupal's security advisory, they have deemed it critical. Multiple vulnerabilities are possible if Drupal is configured to allow certain extensions such as .tar, .tar.gz, .bz2, or .tlz file uploads and if the Drupal is able to process these, then they can process any code embedded in these files. To mitigate this vulnerability, Drupal advises its users to upgrade to the latest versions. If you are using Drupal 8 or prior, then you will most likely continue to be vulnerable as this version and prior versions are end of life. For more details, check out Drupal's security advisory page. VMware releases workarounds for their command injection vulnerability. So CVE 2020-4006, which is still being analyzed. VMware's security advisory, VMSA, has issued it to be a critical vulnerability. A command injection vulnerability was privately reported to VMware. A malicious actor with network access to administrative configurator on port 8443 and a valid password for configurator admin account can execute commands with unrestricted privileges on the underlying operating system. Workarounds are available to address this vulnerability in affected VMware products, and the impacted products include VMware Workspace, One Access, VMware Workspace One Access Connector, VMware Identity Manager and its connector, VMware Cloud Foundation, and vRealize Suite of Lifecycle Manager. VMware is currently working on patches which are forthcoming. For details on this vulnerability and those patches, please check out the advisory page on VMware. Or VMware. Okay, that was all the headlines and the most important stuff that I wanted to cover. However, there is one thing that I want to talk about. It, the first recorded DOS attack, denial of service attack. Uh, this happened in 1988 by Robert Morris. Robert Morris, a student of Cornell University, he released the worm from MIT rather than his own alma mater. The worm exploited several vulnerabilities to gain entry into targeted systems. According to Morris, the purpose of the worm was to gauge the size of the precursor internet, which is at that time was ARPANET. Although it unintentionally caused denial of service for about 10% of the 60,000 machines connected to ARPANET in 1988. And that's huge. So what did the worm exploit? A bug in debug mode of the Unix SendMail program, a buffer overflow bug in the network services, remote shell and remote shell execution in Unix by guessing weak passwords or no passwords. In 1989, Morris was indicted for violating United States code Title 18, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. He was the first person to be indicted under this act in December 1990. He was sentenced to three years of probation, 400 hours of community service, and a fine of 10,050 plus the cost of his supervision. While Morris did not write the worm to cause damage, but it replicated excessively, causing damages estimated upwards of 100,000. That's all I have for this first episode. Next week, I will get you some interesting security bits and continue to evolve this podcast. Please provide your feedback to me via my Twitter handle, Turgesh Kalya, 
or you can also go to www.icsbits.com backslash simplified. Um, if you have any questions regarding anything I spoke uh, today in this episode, uh, please uh, let me know and I can provide you with more information. I'm your host, Durkesh Kalia. Catch me on my next episode on your favorite podcast app on YouTube. Until then, be safe and think before you click it.